What's up, party people in the house? How y'all doing? Oh, and I like that. Come on now. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors, and we are always this crazy because it's normally not this hot. How many of y'all were here last week and it was this hot? Thanks for coming back. I am, I am told that next week we're going to have air conditioning. So uh, Northeast High School has actually put new uh, systems on. The crane's already been here. It's on top of the thing. It just ain't hooked up yet. So next week we should be able to see our breath. So anyway, it'll be good. Uh, welcome to week two of Warriors. Um, if you're a guy, if you know a guy, if you love a guy, this is for you. Uh, we talked about beautiful, and we talked about where women find their self-worth and their self-identity. We're going to be going for the next, uh, actually, three weeks now, and we're going to be looking at the life of David, and uh, we're going to be having some just some great times. So I do want to say thank you so much. Welcome to One Church. If this is your very first time here, again, you're our special guest, and our mission is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's what we all do. That's what we're all about. So next Sunday, we have a movie day, Toy Story 3. How many of y'all seen it already? I cried. I told my guy friends, and they said, uh, yeah, you're a woman. I, I, I don't think so, but it is very touching. You'll have a good time. Next Sunday, we're going to be seeing that in 3D, and we'll have a good time. So, all right. Uh, now, you just saw the whole thing. We just started this new thing. We've been going for about three weeks now, but we're getting all the kinks out. If you have a phone, you're welcome to follow with us uh, on the scripture. You can do all of that stuff. You can polls and do some interaction stuff with the uh, with the sermon. So if you have an iPhone, I don't know if you have any other phones, but I, my iPhone is on U version, and you click on live and you click on one church event. So cool. All right, let's get started. Men, what is it about us and friendships? Because I don't know about you, but most guys, they usually have a hard time actually making friends. Now, here's a, see, some of you, you think, ah, I make friends well. But if you think about it, do you really ever talk about anything that matters? Because I think most of the times, guys, we say that we have friends, but really, we don't have friends that we can call on when life starts kicking the slats out in between our life. We, we talk about a lot of stuff. We keep everything at surface level. We talk about a lot of cliches. We talk about everything under the sun except the stuff that's bothering us. And today, it's my hope, it's my prayer that you will be able to sit back and you will be able to look at a guy in Scripture who is a man. I mean, he is a man's man. We looked at last week. He absolutely put the smack down on a nine-foot, nine-inch giant called Goliath. Cut off his head. That's a man, that's some gladiator moments right there. After watching some of the stuff, I ended up having to watch Gladiator this week. Man, just to get my T-levels up. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, that's awesome stuff. So we're going to be doing that. We're going to have some good times in here. But I do want you to know that you can be a man and still actually go deep and have deep friendships. See, I think the problem is twofold. Number one, we have this idea that as, as men that we, we, don't, we shouldn't need anybody. We should be lone rangers almost. And i, I got to be honest with you, that's a problem. Because most of us, when we say, well, we, we need someone, that, 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 that's a sign of weakness. But let me tell you what the wisest person who ever lived, his name was Solomon. All right? And by the way, Solomon was the son of David, the dude we're talking about. Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and it begins in verse 7, and it says this. I observed yet another example of something that just doesn't make any sense. This is the case of a man who is all alone. 
Everybody knows that two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, another can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But look at this. But two can stand back to back, right? They can stand back to back and they can conquer. That was written by the most wisest person who ever lived. And if the wisest guy who ever lived said, you know what, it's not a sign of weakness for a guy to need another guy, then maybe we should listen to him. In fact, maybe we should even take the example of his father, David, because we're going to be looking at one of the, the most closest friendships ever formed in the Bible today. But the second reason, the second problem, the reason why many guys just kind of, they don't ever go deep in their friendships is this. I think it's just hard to make friends. I think we have this image that we feel like we got to keep up, right? We got to get this macho man. You know what I mean? Some of y'all laughing right now. I understand that. I understand. We, I mean, it's like two guys trying to really talk about something that matters in their life. It's like watching two porcupines dancing. It's painful. It's painful. In fact, listen to how one dude who studied male friendships, this is from Southern Methodist University, this professor, for 10 years, this is what he says. To say that men have no intimate friends seems on the surface a little too harsh. And it raises quick objections for most men. But the data indicates that there is far, this is pretty much the truth. Even the most intimate of friendships with guys, of which there are very few, rarely approach the depth of disclosure a woman commonly has with other women. Men who neither bear themselves nor bear one another are buddies in name only. Think about it, guys. You may go hang out with your buddies, but what do you talk about? You talk about RBIs. You talk about sports. You talk about, you name it, under the sun. You talk about bows, you know, or guns, you know, or any of that stuff. But that's not the stuff that's tripping us up. We're going to have to be intentional. We're going to have to be intentional if we're going to get past all of this surface level pride macho stuff. But we just keep it surface level. I mean, a guy can spend hours with another guy and not know nothing. Kind of reminds me of this clip. This is Brian Regan, a comedian. And listen to what he has to say about male friendships. We think differently about some things, you know. That's good. We're equal but different. And I'll give you an example. My wife and I have a good friend who got divorced about six months ago, and neither of us had seen him since his divorce. I went golfing with him last week, first time I'd seen him since then. I get back from golf, and my wife goes, how's Gary? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I, th I thought you were going golfing with Gary today. Well, I did. <laughs> and you don't know how he's doing? I never really came up. <laughs> did you ask me to ask him that? <laughs> no, I thought maybe you would think to ask him that. I didn't think of that. <laughs> well, is he dating anyone? How would I know something like that? Were you two in the same golf cart? 
in the same golf cart for four hours and you don't know if he's dating anyone? I know he's got a new driver. How is that possible that wouldn't come up? How is that possible that would come up? At 150 markers right there, you're probably at about 135. Are you dating anyone? Isn't that the truth? You know, somebody described and, and defined the word fellowship. The most basic definition is two guys on one ship. And if that really is the case, then guys don't know what to do when they're out at sea, do they? Because we talk about anything and everything except the stuff that we really need to be talking about. We keep everybody at arm's length because we don't want to let people in. Because if they if we let people in, they're going to see the real us. They're going to see that we're not all that we say that we are. Because most of us, we, we keep up this facade. We keep up this pose. And we become posers to say, you know what, this is who I'm representing myself to be but I really don't want you to see the real me. We looked at David last week as he killed the giant. Today, I want to look at what happens after you slay a giant. David was all by his lonesome last week. And thankfully, David hooks up relationship with another guy named, by the name of Jonathan. Before we go there in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and 18, I want to show you this. David and Jonathan began this lifelong friendship that ended once... Jonathan died. Him and his dad. We're going to see who his dad is in a sack. But when Jonathan dies, David writes a song about his best friend Jonathan. And this is in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 26. Oh, my dear brother Jonathan, your friendship was a miracle wonder. Love far exceeding anything I've known or ever hoped to know. David wrote these words after the death of his best friend Jonathan. David, this man's man, this warrior that we saw last week, was not afraid to hook up relationally with another person. We all know, especially those who are in the army, that you've got to have a battle buddy. You've got to have somebody, many times it's your bunkmate, it's someone that when you go out, they go out. You need somebody you know who has your back, as Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Every pilot needs a wingman. Every maverick needs a goose. A little bit of Top Gun stuff right there, all right? I mean, everybody needs that. The army realizes that. But do you? Watch this. The Rangers are looking. The Rangers are looking. They're looking for a fight. They're looking for a fight. All started well enough. We were young, we were strong, and we were soldiers. We were excited in a weird kind of way. We found a rhythm quick, but the sun flamed high in the sky, the packs bit into our shoulders, and our rifles grew heavier by the mile. The dirt trail seemed to stretch on forever. We'd been running every day, but this was something else. We'd been sweating from the time we rolled out of the rack before daybreak, but now sweat drained from every pore in our bodies. This was a physical training stage at the U.S. Army Ranger School, and we expected exertion, even exhaustion. This morning, the PT run was a little different. 
We ran in full field uniform, loaded packs, helmets, boots, and rifles. As usual, the word was, you go out together, you stick together, you work as a unit, and you come in together. If you don't come in together, don't bother to come in. The South Georgia heat felt like a soggy wool poncho draped over the top of my uniform, and the sun seared down on our helmets and burned into the metal on our weapons. We drove hot needles into the exposed skin at the back of our necks. We ran through rolling country, kicking up clouds of powdery dust that stung our eyes and coated our throats. Somewhere along the way, through a fog of pain, thirst, and fatigue, my brain registered something different about our formation. Two rows ahead of me, I noticed one of the guys was out of sync, a big redhead named Sanderson. His legs were pumping, but he was out of step with the rest of us. Then his head began to lull from side to side. This guy was struggling, close to losing it, and I wondered if anybody else had noticed. Yeah, someone noticed, and without missing a step, the ranger on Sanderson's right reached over and took the distressed man's rifle. Now one of the rangers was packing two weapons, his own and Sanderson's. The big redhead did a little better for a while, and the platoon kept moving, jaws slacked, eyes glazed, legs pushing like pistons, but then the head began to sway again. This time, the ranger on the left reached over, removed Sanderson's helmet and tucked it under his own arm and continued to run. Our boots thudded along the dirt trail in heavy unison. Sanderson was hurting at this point, really hurting. He was buckling, going down. But no, two soldiers behind him then lifted the pack off his back, each taking a shoulder strap in his free hand. Sanderson gathered his remaining strength, squared off his shoulders, and the platoon continued to run, all the way to the finish line. We left together, we returned together, and all of us were stronger for it. Together is better. The fact is, there's no such thing as lone rangers in ranger school. If we fell, we'd fall together, and if we survived, it was because we locked arms. If we survived, it was because we locked arms. Together is better. That's our big idea today. Our big idea is strong men don't stand alone. They lock arms and they stand together. Strong men, real men, don't stand alone. The Lone Ranger thing is a myth. Even the Lone Ranger had who? That's right. All right, let's look at this man. David and Jonathan. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 57. Starting there, it says this. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine... By the way, who's the dude he just killed? Big old ugly nappy dude named Goliath, right? Um... Uh, anyway, David returned killing the Philistine. Abner, the commander of King Saul's army, took him and brought him before Saul with David still holding the Philistine's head. Now, put, put, keep that in your mind. The dude's head, the gook's dripping off the bottom of the head. You know, his tongue's hanging out. You know, you know what I mean? All right? And uh, whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. David had finished talking with Saul. And look at this, Jonathan. Now, who is Jonathan? Jonathan was King Saul's son. So he's Prince Jonathan. He's the next person, if you think about it, who is in line, the throne. Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him. He loved David as he loved himself. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as he loved himself. What a strong statement. They became one in spirit. That Hebrew word, one in spirit, literally means that their souls were knit together. 
It's like taking one piece of fabric and another piece of fabric and knitting those together. And they are now one. And if you try to separate those, what's going to happen to both sets of fabric? It's going to tear. It's going to rip. I want to to let you see four principles of friendship that we're going to be looking at from the lives of David and Jonathan. Four principles. Now, this is not just a guy thing, ladies. Ladies, some of you, you may... Friendships may come easy to you. For some, it may not. I think all of us, men and women, we have this facade that we got to keep up that keeps everybody out. And that facade is keeping us lonely. That facade is keeping us from experiencing community. And I want to look at four principles that, of someone that you can not only just be an acquaintance with, but you can be close friends. The first one is this. Close friends, you got to have shared values. You've got to have shared values. Now, last week, we looked at David fighting alone the giant Goliath and how all these other guys around them were being passive. That's what we looked at this last week. But I want you to look at a story of Jonathan and look how similar David and Jonathan are. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1, and it says this. On one day, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost." But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men... How many men did King Saul have? 600 men were camped on the outskirts of this town called Gibeah around this tree in Migran. No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp to go to the Philistines, their enemies. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs. And he says, let's go across to the outpost of those unbelievers, those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Now look at this. For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or just a few. Man, that is exactly like David. David, when he went up against the giant... I mean, you had all of these men behind David who was just really not doing anything. They were just being passive. Just like these 600 guys around King Saul. Jonathan said, hey, let's go pick a fight. Let's go. Let's go down to the Philistine, just me and my armor bearer. And let's go. uh, Let's go kick some dust up in their face. And then what's amazing, if you continue to read that story. You're going to see that Jonathan, God was totally with Jonathan, and Jonathan killed a bunch of people that day because he had the same shared values as David. He loved the same God. He loved the same kingdom. They marched to the same tune. They, they shared their values. I mean, and this is so important because if you're a Christ follower here today, if, 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 if Christ is your main goal, if Jesus, if God, if the church religion thing is, is kind of your end of that, then you need to know this. You can be friends with people who aren't like that. But if you want to really be close to somebody, they've got to be rowing in the same direction. You've got to hook up relationally with people who are rowing in the same direction. And that means especially when it comes to your values. Especially when it comes to your values. Because your friends, who you choose to hook up with, will determine the direction and the course of your life. They will. Did you hear that, teenagers? Your friends will determine the direction and the course of your life. You will become like your friends. So be careful who you choose. Jonathan chose 
Jonathan chose David, and David chose Jonathan. They had shared values. Now, just because they had shared values doesn't mean they were exactly the same. I mean, think about it. David, what was his occupation? Does anybody remember? He was a shepherd. That's exactly right. I mean, he kind of shepherds smell like what? Sheep. They're not very attractive. Throw that out there. Right? Now, now what about Jonathan? Jonathan, by the way, in shepherds, they're, they're not just poor. They're poe. Right? I mean, he was a farmer. Now, now, Jonathan, he was a prince. He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. I mean, he didn't smell like sheep. He smelled like Axe body gel. You know what I mean? These guys, even though, even though they had the same shared values, their, their tastes were different. Their backgrounds were different. I mean, sometimes some of their views on some things were different, but... Where it counted, they were the same. They loved the same God. They had shared values. Now, not only that, they also, they had unselfish love. If you're going to hook up and if you're going to really become friends with someone, you got to be rowing in the same direction. You got to be pointing towards the same target. But you also, you need to have some unselfish love. Unselfish love. Look at what it says here in verse 18, 3 and 4. Chapter 18, verses 3 and 4. And Jonathan made a solemn pact or covenant or agreement with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Talking about Jonathan. Jonathan sealed this pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. For those of you who are in community groups here at One Church, I can't wait for you to study this this week. For those who aren't, you can go to their website and you can download the study questions about this. But this covenant, this is so amazing because each one of these things symbolizes something, an agreement, a promise Jonathan is making to David. Let's look at that. Jonathan gave David his robe and his tunic. What does that symbolize? Well, you see, we think today... That when, if, a, if a king has a ring and if he puts that ring on somebody else, many times what that means is that person has the authority of the king. Many times, not only that, that person will become the next king. Well, back in that day, how kingship was transferred was not by ring. Many times it was transferred by a robe. You see, Jonathan was a prince and King Saul, his daddy... He had high hopes for his son, Jonathan. My, my son's going to be king one day. My son's going to be king one day. But God had other plans. Because God had already chosen David to be the next king. Even though he had to wait 15 years after he was chosen. So, here we see Jonathan, who it's his right to be able to say, I'm going to be the next king. And he says, you know, no, I don't think so. I see the character of a king and my best friend David, and I'm going to give my robe and my tunic to him, symbolizing that he is going to be the next king. That type of friendship is rare, isn't it? For someone to say, you know what, not just insist on their own way, but say, you know, I know I have this right, but I'm willingly laying it down on behalf of you. That is a rare quality. There was unselfish love here. Not only that, did he give his robe and his tunic, but he also gave his weapons. He gave his sword. He gave his bow. Now, just to throw this, this was something that was very precious to Jonathan. It was very rare. How do I know that? Because in Israel, there was only two swords. 
you know, metallurgy and the whole working with metal and all that stuff, it was still a young science. In fact, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 22, it says this, On the day of battle, none of the people of Israel had a sword or a spear except for Saul and who? Jonathan. Very, very rare. Very, very precious gift. And really, this gift is symbolizing, Jonathan is telling David, buddy, I got your back, dude. I'm going to be your battle buddy. I've got your back. If somebody comes against you, they come against me. I've got your back. If somebody comes against your family, they come against mine because you are my friend. I have your back. He's saying, I'm going to vow, I am, I am making a pact with you, David, that I'm going to protect you because you will be the next king. Even with my dying breath, I will make this commitment. You know what's missing from this whole David and Jonathan scenario? You know what's missing? Jealousy. Jealousy. Think about it. Jealousy. I mean, Jonathan had every right to be jealous of David, didn't he? Because Jonathan, in a lot of people's eyes, hey, that dude's the prince. He's going to be king one day. And, I mean, I, I want you to hear me. This jealousy will kill friendships. Even more than that, jealousy will kill relationships, even marriage relationships. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, Love is not jealous. And let me tell you what jealousy is. Jealousy is wanting what the other person has. If you're jealous of your friend's boat, if you're jealous of your friend's motorcycle, if you're jealous of your friend's wife, that's wanting something of theirs and you don't want them to have it. You want to have it. Jealousy is selfishness and this is unselfish love. So he had shared values. They were rowing in the same direction. They had unselfish love. But look at this next one. They have deep loyalty. And by the way, let's look, if you want to look at jealousy, don't look at Jonathan. Look at Jonathan's daddy, King Saul. King Saul was jealous. In fact, David, he kills the Goliath and they all start singing songs. They write, they have this top 40 song going all over Israel. And some of the, the Caleb Israeli radio stations are playing it, you know. And here was the song. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And it had a good beat. It was great. It was wonderful. They were like, yeah, good song. And, but here's the thing. King Saul didn't like that song. King Saul was jealous. This is what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 9. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Look at this. Saul now urged his servants and his son, Jonathan, look at this, to assassinate David. You know where jealousy leads? It will, it will kill a friendship, but you know what? It'll actually, it, it could end in murder. Saul urged his servants and his own son, Jonathan, to assassinate David. But Jonathan, look at this loyalty here, because of his strong affection and love for David, told him what his father was planning. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things to Saul all about David. You know, you want to be a good friend, then you've got to be loyal. Are you, when somebody shows up, you know, and maybe your best friend's not around and they start bad-mouthing them, what do you do? Do you just let them go? Because that's not loyalty. It's not loyalty. 
loyalty, Jonathan is defending his best friend even when his best friend is not around. And not only that, he's defending his best friend to his own father, the most powerful man in the country. I mean, listen to the... I mean, that takes courage. That's loyalty. That is deep loyalty. Later, Jonathan makes another promise to David. In this verse, we're going to be looking at next week. I can't wait for you to show up next week and talk about... We're going to be looking at what happens when you have the heart of a king. That a king accepts responsibility. But this is in 1 Samuel 20. It says this, Jonathan said... He's talking to David. If Saul is angry and wants you killed, may God strike me and even kill me if I don't warn you so that you can escape and live. May the Lord be with you, David, as he used to be with my father. Hold up right there, guys. Has there ever been a time when you used to be close to God? You need to know this. If there was ever a time that you used to be close to God, God did not leave you. You left God. And that's exactly what we saw with Saul. Through his disobedience, it's him that walks out on God. I'm going to keep on reading. And may you treat me with the faithful love. We're going to look at that word next week. That's awesome. The faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all of your enemies from the face of the earth. I mean, what Jonathan is saying is, David, is this. He's asking a question. Can our friendship last through the generations? Can our friendship, I mean, even when everything is going well for you and not so well for my family, are you still going to be beside me? Are you going to be a fair-weather friend? I mean, will you remember me, David? Even if I die, will you remember me? And listen to this. He continues, verse 17. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again. For Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. Have you ever said anything like this to a friend, ladies, guys? You know what? If me and my wife ever were to die, would you, would you raise our children? If, if something ever happened to us, God forbid, would you step in and would you parent my children? You see, that's what Jonathan and David, that's the pact that they're making. They're saying, you know what? This is bigger than us. We don't only not want to affect us. We want to affect the next generation. They had similar shared values. And they had this deep loyalty. This is a man-to-man friendship that says, I will never, ever walk out on you. I will be loyal to you. So, a godly friendship revolves around shared values. A godly friendship revolves around unselfish love, deep, deep loyalty, and lastly, transparency. you got to be real with people. I I want you to look at one of the last times that David and Jonathan really ever, ever talk. And in this, one of the last exchanges that they meet, I want you to look at how transparent these two guys are with each other. And remember, these are guys. These are soldiers. These aren't some pansies selling shoes in a shoe store. By the way, if you're a shoe salesman, I apologize. Wasn't in my notes. All right, keep on going. Need to stick here. All right, all right. First Samuel chapter twenty, verse forty-one. Then David bowed three times to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye. But look at this. But David, what? I'm sorry, David, what? David wept. The most. 
David and Jonathan were not ashamed to embrace and to cry together. They were genuine with one another. They, were, they weren't concerned with their image. They weren't concerned with posing, trying to keep up this man macho mess. They pressed their emotions to the utter brink. And they were transparent with one another. Listen to how David Smith, the author of The Friendless Male, says this. Very early in life, little boys received the cultural message that they're not supposed to show emotion. Expressing feelings is genuinely a taboo for guys. Boys soon to learn to dread the words, don't be a sissy. Big boys don't cry. Aren't you a little too old to be sitting on your mama's lap? The message does come through loud and clear. Boys have to learn to be men, and to be a man means to conceal your emotions. Let me tell you, there's a Greek word for that. It's called bunk. David and Jonathan were real men. And they weren't afraid to share that. I'm gonna, how many of y'all want to memorize a verse of Scripture today? All right, cool. Let me give it to you. Simple. I would say the, the manliest man, we're going to throw that out there, is Jesus. Would everybody agree? All right. Here's a verse that you can memorize. It's, it's two words. It's John 11. All right, it's John chapter 11, and it's Jesus wept. Everybody say it. You just memorize the verse. Give yourselves a hand. All right. Now, let's just say this. If Jesus can weep and he can be a man, dude, suck it up. You've got to be real with another guy. You've got to start talking about the stuff in your life that's absolutely eating your lunch. I mean, we all know we can, you, how much you can bench press or how much you can't. We all know how good you are, but we've got to get past that. That's not transparency. Let me tell you, there are levels of communication and transparency. Let me just give you four. The first level, and this is so shallow, this is just cliche. Hey, how you doing? Fine. Okay. Now, do you know anything more about that person? No. How's the weather? It's hot. It's, it's 90 degrees outside, but it's 102 degrees here at one church. <laughs> right? I mean, that is cliche stuff, and that is surface level. God wants to get you past that. Now, the next level, it's a little bit deeper. It's, it's fact. It's fact. This fact level is this is where you know something about someone. Like my wife. My wife, she is, has blue, air, blue eyes, not blue hair. She would be a smurf. <laughs> All right, she has blue eyes, blonde hair. You know, she wears a size 10 shoe. She doesn't like wearing tennis shoes because they make her feet look like boats. Don't tell her I said that. Um, I mean, those are just facts about my wife. And I'm going a little bit deeper, but I'm still keeping people at arm's length. Just facts. We've got to go beyond facts, guys, ladies. The next one is opinions. This is what you think about stuff. It's what you think, and you're getting a little bit deeper, but it's still, it's not who you are. You're not sharing who you are. You're sharing about what you feel about something else. But that next level, and this, very rarely do we ever get to this next level. It's this next level. It's dreams and desires. This is where you talk about the stuff that you're dreaming, you're thinking about becoming. It's what you want for your family, what you want for yourself. Guys, we have got to be intentional about going deep. Because beating around the bush isn't cutting it. 
Beating around the bush and having acquaintances will get you six pallbearers at your funeral, but they're all going to afterwards go eat potato salad and nobody's life will be changed. You've got to intentionally go deep. So are you going to do that this week? Are you going to move beyond the cliche, beyond the fact, even beyond the opinion and say, listen, this is where I'm struggling. Let me tell you where this happens for me. Where this happens for me is in my community group. I got to be honest, let me tell you just a little bit about our community groups. Um, our community groups are, um, they're, uh, they're couples. We have couples and men and women's groups, but I'm in a couples group. And um, we have been meeting for about a year now. And how this works is it's a closed group. And what that means is after about six, seven weeks, after you like everything, okay, this is good, you close the group and you don't have new people coming in and you don't have people flaking out, you are committed. I am in this relationship for a year. And the reason why we do that is we want to create a predictable environment where people are start sharing the stuff that's bothering them. You see, you're not going to talk about your marriage, your finances, some of the stuff that you're struggling with when you always have new people coming in the group. So we want to keep it the same. Now, some of you all say, well, it sounds like a click. Well, after a year, that group divides. And the good mojo, there's another Greek word. The good mojo that happened in that group is it starts happening in all the groups. Now, I made that rule. Every group divides. And I got to be honest with you. I, I hate that rule right now. Because our group this September is multiplying. We're becoming... One group is becoming three groups, and we're going to be adding more people to it. The reason why I hate it is because I love each and every one of those people in my community group. I love them. I love the ladies, but the guys, I know those guys have my back. Those guys and I, we just spend all night sitting up talking together and laughing with one another and crying with one another. Some of these guys, we went down the river in canoes. Some of these guys, we have went and we've done, we went to movies, we've hung out, we've had fun, we've talked about our families, our children, we've talked about our dreams, we've talked about all of this stuff. And I love these gentlemen in my group. These guys, they hold me accountable, they laugh with me, they pray with me. <clears throat> Just a couple of weeks ago, I had this guy come over to my house and we were grilling out, we were doing something very spiritual. And uh, we're all hanging out around the grill, and it's me and my wife and this couple. And I looked at this dude, and I says, hey, how's your spiritual life? And my wife looked at me and said, Chris, like I did something bad. It happens quite a bit. Chris, right? And I said, what? And I looked at him, and I looked at my wife and says, if, and, and I, I didn't know I was going to preach this. I says, if we're not intentional, if I can't ask you how your spiritual walk is, then we got issues. We have got to get to the bottom of what's kicking us in the seat of our pants. Guys, you can't just beat around the bush. So my challenge for you men and women, but especially men, who are you going to intentionally lock arms with this next week and ask those hard questions? Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, Wounds from a friend are better than kisses from an enemy. And sometimes we need some guys, some true friends around us who are going to wound us saying, you're screwing up. You are hanging out too much at this place. You're hanging out too much with this woman who's not your wife. You better watch out. All of us need that. All of us need somebody who will hold us up. I need that. And you need that.
So where are you going to find it this week? All right. Uh, let's, any questions we have? All right, I got a couple. All right. What if your spouse doesn't like your friends or wants you hanging out with them? All right, great question. All right, um, I assume this is from a guy, so let's do that. I would talk about it with your wife. Now, I'm going to say this. Your first commitment is to God, but your second greatest commitment is to who? Your wife. That's absolutely right. So ask your wife, why don't you like me hanging out with them? I bet you the reason why she doesn't like, she probably doesn't like you hanging out with them is because she thinks they are dragging you down, that you become a different person with them. Now, I've got to be honest with you, all guys, we become different people when we're just around guys. You know what I mean? When we're not around ladies, we do disgusting stuff. Just throw that out there, all right? That's just part of guyhood, all right? But I don't think that's what we're talking about here. Is your friends, and ask her this, do you think my friends are bringing me up or dragging me down? Ask her that question. Ask her why. All right, next one. What if your man is deployed without a battle buddy or soulmate or when he is home, his best friend is across the country? That's a great question. And especially with the army, you know, y'all are kind of always moving. I would say wherever you're at, go deep and find that person. You're going to have to be intentional. It doesn't mean you can't have your best friend across the country, but find somebody here you can lock arms with. And if you can't find somebody, help us, let us help you find that in a community group. It may take a while, but it'll happen. It'll happen. All right, great, great question. All right? All right, very good. Thank you so much for coming to One Church today. Don't forget next week, Toy Story 3. And next week we're going to be talking about, we're going to be looking at a king that a real man accepts responsibility. I love you guys. Happy Father's Day. Let me pray for y'all. Dear God, I just thank you so much for how you love us, God. Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, that even in the heat and the discomfort, Lord, Lord, that we can be real and that we can be able to come and just be able to worship you, God. Lord, you are so precious to us. And your word says in the book of Proverbs that there is a friend that will stick closer than a brother. And Lord, it's my hope, it's my prayer today that if anyone does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that the best friend that they can be able to hook up with relationally is him. And Lord, how that happens is, Lord, that we have to realize that we have messed up. The Bible calls it sin. And because we have sinned, because we've messed up, we've made bad choices. Lord, that those bad choices breaks our relationship with you. And it cannot be repaired on our own. We can't be good enough. We can't go to enough church services. We can't give enough money. We can't do any of that stuff, God. That the only way that a relationship with you is repaired and that we can become your friend and you can become our friend is if we ask Jesus Christ. To repair that relationship. And he did once and for all on the cross. Lord, I pray for each man, each woman in here who needs that relationship with you, God. And that they would be able to find that friendship that does stick closer than a brother. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.